Morning, Bethel. We are going to uh, continue in our study, Gospel of Luke. Our text is the end of chapter 20 and the beginning of chapter 21. So if you want to grab your Bible and turn there, if you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find the text on page 1050. As we prepare to uh, begin our study here in Luke 20, verse uh, 45 through 21, 4, I want you to think about, um, you know, within uh, evolutionary theory, you have natural selection. Sometimes it's referred to as the survival of the fittest, okay? Um, where oftentimes the way that that works out is the strong eat the weak. Um, that dynamic actually isn't just present in the animal kingdom. That dynamic can be present in our human relationships. Um, and not just among people who just kind of coldly, selfishly, indifferently carve up other people and just use and abuse them in really obvious and blatant ways, but also in the realm of Self-righteous religiosity. Self-righteous religiosity is actually a religious kind of baptized form of survival of the fittest. Where you actually feed on others rather than feeding others. So if you really think the world is eat or be eaten, then... You see, self-righteousness or works righteousness necessarily has a competitive impulse in it. Think about Luke 18. Remember that parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? The Pharisee, he would have been the good guy, the impressive guy, the guy that everyone looked to, the example in Jesus' day. And he says, I thank my God, you know, he's, I thank my God, giving God the glory, Right? Thank my God that I'm not like other men, like this guy back here, this tax collector, this sinner. I thank my God that I do this and I do this and I do this. So there's this competitive impulse because if you are relying on your own righteousness, your self-righteousness, your works righteousness, you necessarily have to be better And so you will step on the heads of others in order to gain that higher ground. And so that man looked with contempt on that tax collector who beat his breast and knew that he was guilty. The only thing he brought to the table was debt and that he was in need of receiving. And so he's the one that actually went away justified. So if your identity is wrapped up in your works righteousness, your self-righteousness, if that's threatened, then what happens is we get critical, we get insecure, we get gossipy. You see how gossip is a one of those moves? We have to step, push someone else down to get up. 
And sometimes it's because we're being threatened over here. We don't know how to quite gain the high ground over there, so we'll just gain it over here where we can. Gossip, slander, critical spirit. Self-pity is the same way. Superiority complex. Looking down with others on contempt. Jockeying for position. Protecting, promoting, defending our position. All those things break out because we have to we have to be high enough. And so what it is, is we use and abuse other people. We step on other people. We feed on other people rather than feeding other people. So if you think about the, the garden, what was, what was, how was it set up in the beginning? God, who doesn't need anything, overflowing fountain of fullness, self-sufficient, glorious fullness, he creates Adam and Eve in his image, and he gives them everything they need. Perfect fullness. The only restriction was just so that they wouldn't die. And so if Adam is just being filled up with the fullness of God, and Eve is being filled up with the fullness of God because God's so good and everything they make is good, 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 very good, then think about how they would live. All this fullness flooding down through them to each other, giving each other, serving each other, blessing each other. And then that would trickle down to the animal kingdom. They're supposed to rule and subdue, not, not dominate and beat and, you know, be cruel and inhumane. No. They were supposed to bless the earth, fill it. God blessed them that they would be a blessing. He gave to them so that they would give out of his fullness. And they would never have to feel like, oh, well, then what will be left for me? Because God is this infinite supply of fullness. Okay? But the lie that broke everything was God's holding out. Oh. And because of that, they turned in self-promoting, self-protecting, territorial, and they're on the take. And they start biting and devouring. And very quickly you have Cain and Abel and on and on. So this text actually says, turn from all of that biting and devouring and feeding and eating and abusing and using people. And listen, I've got a new kingdom, a new way. Follow me. That's what Jesus is saying. So let's read our text and we'll pray and we'll dive in. We need this. We need this every day. Um, some of the songs that we sang were so appropriate. Take my life and let it be. Um, the wonderful cross. When we see the fullness of grace that is ours in Christ at the wonderful cross, we count our righteous gain as lost. We pour contempt on our pride. And the cross bids us come and die, and that's not a loss, that's a gain. And love so amazing, so divine, demands our life, our all, and that's not a burden. <laughs> it's a natural, of course, response to give because of how we have been given so much grace upon grace. So let's read Luke 20, verses 45 to, four, to 21, 4. While all the people were listening, he said to the disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. Beware of the scribes who devour widows' houses 
and for appearance's sake offer long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly I say to you, this poor woman, this poor widow, put in more than all of them. For they all, out of their surplus, put into the offering, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you that you have given us everything in giving us Christ. I pray that we would see that from your fullness we have received grace upon grace in Christ. Would you please help us to know, be reminded of, experience, taste the fullness of grace that is in Christ. The one who, though he was infinitely rich, that he became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich in your mercy and your grace. Heirs of all things as your sons and daughters. So would you please show us how we so often live as if we are still in the kingdom of this world where we are on the take feeding on other people rather than feeding other people. If that's what we're doing, Lord, show us that it's because we're empty of your grace. We've been dried up and we need more of your grace to free us from that slavery to self. So please show us the countercultural beauty of the grace of the Lord Jesus and his kingdom. Cause us to be warned of the dangers of living according to the economics and the politics of the kingdoms of this world and show us and help us to embrace deep down the economy of the kingdom, the economy of the king of kings who gave his life as a ransom for many. We need your help, and we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in the context here, Jesus has entered Jerusalem, and then he entered the temple and drove out those who were selling. Okay, my house shall be called house of prayer, and you've made it into a den of robbers. And then there's these series of confrontations, okay? The Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, the Sadducees, they all try their hand even through some spies, you know, some people that they send. They all try their hand at undermining, discrediting, Jesus catching him in his words, none of them are able to do it. Instead, they get caught on the horns of the dilemma that they tried to catch Jesus on. So he has silenced them at this point, but their problem was not just an intellectual or a conceptual one. Their behavior is also reprehensible. It's, it's even cloaked in religious garb, and so he needs to expose this both to them and to his disciples so that his disciples are wary that they beware of those who would lead them astray. So there's all these beware statements. So we're going to look at it one at a time. So beware cheap imitations, big picture overall. 
verses 45 to 47. Um, We'll look at them one at a time. There's a little outline in your bulletin if it's helpful um, for you to follow along that way. Um, So first, just with this beware thing, you see that while all the people were listening, this is the crowd that would be by and large sympathetic to Jesus, open to Jesus, supportive of Jesus. That's why the, the, the Pharisees couldn't arrest him in plain sight because the crowd was for him. They were hanging on his words. And so while everyone's listening, he says to the disciples, beware. Beware of these cheap imitations. Now, why is this warning here? What, why are they to beware of these scribes? I think Jesus is warning them at least for two primary reasons. One, beware of being led by them. And two, led astray. Two, beware of becoming like them. Okay? And those warnings obviously are not unrelated. If you view these guys as the representatives of God and godliness, you're going to follow them and you will become like what you admire. So the point is, disciples, hypocrisy can happen. Hypocrisy is like leaven, which is the last beware in Luke. Back in chapter 12, under these circumstances, after so many thousand people gathered together, they were stepping on one another. He began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Secretly, it works its way through the hole of the dough. So don't think that this warning is for no reason. It wasn't for no reason for the disciples. We think, well, it's obvious the scribes there were the bad guys. Well, it wasn't quite obvious yet to the disciples and maybe not as obvious to us as we'd like to think. This is a real and necessary warning given to the disciples and it's for us as well. This is powerful stuff, this hypocrisy that marked the scribes. It's subtle in its temptation. It can happen. If these guys were the power brokers, You can imagine how the disciples might follow suit, especially under pressure. There are influences and temptations that can leverage on your soul. They could be led astray and end up doing the same dirty work that that those scribes were doing and be just as blind to it as the scribes were to theirs. They could end up buying into the same cult of self-righteousness and hypocrisy and greed and be condemned right along with them. So the warning is necessary, it's important, and it's necessary and important for us as well. Let me just throw this out as a reason to listen to Jesus here. How many of you, without a show of hands, how many of you are old enough to know, to have experienced, that you have in some ways become what you never wanted to become? You've become what you used to despise. You have yielded to a never. You turned into one of those things that you used to say, I'll never be like that. If there's typical sin of older generations, it can be that they can lose their idealism and realism morphs into fatalism. And sometimes the typical sin of younger generations that they hold their idealism in such a way that it's not yet tested. So it's kind of a cheap holding. They haven't yet backed it up in their life. And so they can hold it cheaply and with a self-righteous manner that looks down on everyone else that's selling out and compromising. 
So their idealism is not yet seasoned with realism. Do we know these dynamics? Have we experienced them? So if you know that you've given in to some of those nevers, you can understand the dynamic of something that seems obvious. Well, of course, beware the, the you know, scribes. Subtle. We need to hear this. Don't hold it, hold it arms on. Don't check out, oh, I know that I shouldn't be like that. So can you hurry up and get to the widow? Because at least that might be practical. So, Beth and I, we've experienced this. I remember, you know, when you're dating, when you're newly married, you look at, you go to a restaurant or something, you see this couple sitting there and they hardly say a word between the two of them, you know, through the whole meal. And you go, what's wrong with them? Glad we'll never turn out that way. Three years into our marriage, going crazy as a nurse and grad school and church stuff and, you know, more all-nighters than I could shake a stick at. Finally, we took our first vacation. Hannah is in the womb at the time. We go to Myrtle Beach. We show up at the table the first night, look at each other across the table, and it was like, what do we talk about? It was really awkward and sobering. And we realized right there, wow, this, this could happen to us. It just did. The uh-huh husbanding, you know, you're doing something else. Uh-huh. I used to hate that. So critical of those husbands that are so inattentive. And then I see myself prone to do that sometimes. And I have to fight it. Ugh, what is wrong with me that I have to fight that? I treasure this woman. Me as a father. Anyway, on and on, we could give multiply examples. We need to heed these warnings. Because just a chapter later, actually a chapter and a half, in chapter 22, listen to what Jesus has to say. And a, a dispute arose among the disciples as to which one, regarded, which one was regarded to be the greatest. Right after this. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors, but it's not this way with you. But the one who's the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who's greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I, the Son of Man, God in the flesh, am among you as one who serves. So what about you? Are you tempted to maybe hold this out at arm's length? Please don't. This is real and present danger. So Jesus is graciously warning us, telling us to beware. We need to listen. Okay, this was the path of the respected leaders. And they were leading right to condemnation. We don't want to follow them. We don't want to become like them. So we need to have ears to hear what Jesus warns us here. The widow in 21, 1 to 4 is obviously set in contrast to these guys. And you could even say that, that Luke 18, 14, and it's actually also in 14, 11, is like an umbrella. He who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbled him, humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, so beware. First, beware the allure of impressive appearances. Look at verse 45. And while all the people were listening, he said to the disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. Robes, like this, were, they spoke of status. Okay, they were symbols of distinction. And you know what? These guys liked walking around in them. Jesus is telling his disciples to beware these guys because they could fall for it too. Have you ever 
Am I the only one? Have you ever felt the allure of impressive appearance? It's a temptation. It can make you feel like you're better, more impressive. Like you get all dressed up to the nines and somehow it's almost like your chest swells a little bit. What's up with that? Have you ever felt this feeling? (laughs) Could be from clothing you purchased when you wore it. Identity by MasterCard. Okay? How about by means of a car? You drive up next to somebody. You used to drive one of those jalopies. Then you drive. All of a sudden, you're feeling like you're better. What's going on? These kinds of identity markers can be like a shot of adrenaline to the soul. They can inflate your ego and self-confidence. Beware. There's more to watch out for. Look um, again at verses 45 and 46. Beware the love of power and position and prestige. While the people were listening, he said to the disciples, Beware of the scribes who love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They didn't love their neighbors as themselves. They didn't love God with all their heart. They loved respectful greetings and chief seats and places of honor. Do you see the three locations? In the marketplaces, in the synagogues, at feasts or banquets. That's pretty comprehensive for their lives at least. Marketplace was the center of civic and social life. They loved for people to look up to them wherever they went. Have you ever had this happen? Have you ever wished that it would happen? Have you ever been with someone to whom it happened and you were envious of them? I'm like nobody. Everybody everybody knows you. These warnings are not just for those who have these privileges and honors. It's for those who desire them. The beware is to the disciples who didn't have that position and power. So these guys, they love the chief seats, the places of honor. They wanted to be first. There's actually the root in, in the word itself. It's a long kind of compound word, but it has first in it for both chief seats and places of honor, okay? They wanted to be first. The desire to be first starts really, really early. <laughs> Children, first in line, first to eat, first to get some candy. Me first, me first, you know? Like, get in line, nobody get, nobody, no cuts, no cuts, it's natural. And guess what? We just, we do the same thing. The impulse is still there. We just find ways to be more subtle and, and uh, mask it a little bit more. We want to be the supreme sovereigns in our lives. See, they thought they deserved it. I'm somebody and you should know and recognize it. So make sure you put me where I should be. I know who I am because of where I am in relation to others. So it's easy to be impressed by those advantages and others. It's easy to covet them. We want to impress. We want to have the power and control of position and prestige. We think it's the path to ease and comfort and respect and honor and the control that we desire. Have you ever fed off of popularity? Have you ever hungered for it? 
Have you ever seen how it often requires stepping on the heads of others in order to keep your fragile superiority complex or image reputation? Keep it propped up. You know why these guys wanted to kill Jesus? He was a threat to their kingdom. In Matthew, Pilate even knew it. He knew that it was out of envy that they handed him over. So Jesus is saying, beware of all that. This is the way of the world. This isn't the way of the kingdom. If you're going to be a disciple of mine, I need to govern and order your loves. So he warns his disciples, and we need it. Love of popularity and power and position is very dangerous. Beware. Beware also, fourth, the temptation to feed on easy prey. Um, Actually, third, letter C there. Again, back to the verses. While all the people were listening, he said to the disciples, Beware the scribes who devour widows' houses. This would not have been immediately obvious to everyone. That's why Jesus needed to point it out. What does that mean? Well, it could mean active devouring in the sense of temple authorities could have manipulatively improperly managed the property of widows and taken advantage of them that way. It could be that some of the scribes took advantage of their hospitality in kind of a selfish, gluttonous way. It could be that they took legal fees for their advice against what the law said for needy, poor ones like widows. Um, It could be that there was kind of an unwritten rule of giving gifts to teachers, and it was viewed as meritorious, so it's kind of a self-perpetuating cycle. You know, you can, you can imagine how the approval and smile of the teacher becomes a surrogate for God. And it was a damnable, damning process. Okay? So those are active devour options. It could also be that they simply were not concerned. Okay? In their striving for, for first place in popularity, it could be that it was their mere indifference that allowed... The widows to be devoured. There's text along these lines. So in Deuteronomy, um, well, let me just go to Isaiah 10. Listen to this text quickly. Woe to those who enact evil statutes and to those who constantly record unjust decisions so as to deprive the needy of justice and rob the poor of my people of their rights so that widows may be their spoil and that they may plunder the orphans. How do you plunder an orphan? An orphan doesn't have anything. The point is, it's costly to look out for them. Neglect is the equivalent of piracy. Stealing their rights because you want to protect your stuff, and it's too costly to love them. Okay, so it could have been active ugly, or it could have been passive ugly. Either way, it was ugly. So, again, they're, in effect, exploiting. Um, In fact, it could just be that it's the way the text rolls out. Devouring widows' houses, she gave, because there were expected tithes and gifts in the temple, she gave all that she had to live on. Her house is devoured. So rather than these guys... See, this is the den of thieves. See how this all ties together? The temple was supposed to be a place where that woman would be cared for. And instead, the temple is feeding on her. 
okay? So, rather than feeding via teaching and advocating and serving, rather than providing for weak, the weak and the needy and the, the defenseless, these guys are preying on them, feeding off of them, okay? Which is exactly what's warned in Ezekiel 34 of the shepherds. Um, just for the sake of time, listen. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to these shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The disease, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity, you have dominated them. So then he says, I'm going to come and shepherd my flock. And Jesus, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep to feed and bless and secure the sheep. He says, I will feed them. So these impulses to feed off of others instead of feeding others is one we need to beware. We all have an inner hungry lion that we need to slay by the grace of God. You remember back in Genesis 4 when Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices? Abel brought the right sacrifice. Cain didn't, and he was rejected, and his face fell, and the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, if you bring the right sacrifice, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. It wants to master you, but you must master it. Unless the inner lion you do slay you'll poise to feed on easy prey. So the widows were easy money. Feed their habit of walking around like blessed benefactors on the backs of poor widows like this. If it was active, devouring, it's clear. If it's passive, it's also clear. Have you ever taken advantage of someone? So we don't hold this out at arm's length. What kind of people do you typically take advantage of? People who are in some way weaker, socially, emotionally, intellectually, etc. Somehow weaker or needier. Okay, so maybe their situation is urgent. Maybe they're helpless or defenseless. They don't have anyone to advocate for them. They don't have any other recourse, and you can take advantage of their dire straits. So, we can take advantage of people actively. We can take advantage of people passively. Okay? If it's passive, it means these scribes or we ourselves, we don't impoverish ourselves by caring. It would be the equivalent of saying, go, be warm and, and filled, and doing nothing. We need to beware the impulse to feed on easy prey because the impulse of the gospel is totally different. Acts 6, 1, these, these widows were being neglected in the, the table service, feeding them, caring for their basic needs. That was a problem. And so they found a gospel solution so that the gospel could keep going forward and these widows could be blessed and helped and protected and preserved and provided for. They should be fed, not devoured. Okay, so final warning here. Beware the impulses of pretense. While all the people were listening, he said to the disciples, Beware of the scribes who, for appearance's sake, offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. So again, two kingdoms in conflict here as Jesus confronts the temple leadership. 
There's the self-promoting, self-righteous, selfish kingdom. And then there's the self-giving, self-sacrificing, righteousness of Jesus kingdom. Okay, impress others is the law of the former kingdom. To gain your standing gives the illusion of piety, but piety is just a means. It's a tool to get what you want selfishly. Even prayer is used as a means for selfish ends. You see that? Who for appearance's sake offer long prayers. And in the text that Jay read in Matthew 11, we see why. So that they can be honored by people. So guess what? Those prayers, they may have been answered by the people, not by God. (laughs) Because they were given honor. Ooh, he really prays well. So spiritual. But Jesus is saying, beware. In the hearing of the people, he's trying to dry up the market for these guys. (laughs) They're meaningless, ineffective prayers before God, just like Luke 18 with the Pharisee and the tax collector. All this stuff, this stuff that he tells them to beware of, this is like a drug. The praise of people and honor and status before people, it's like a drug. The hungry praise of men addicts are looking for their next fix. And we can do the same thing. And Jesus is saying, a plague on your house. Down with this house. This self-serving, self-promoting, feeding on others house. I'm going to build a completely different house on my self-sacrificial love. I'm going to give so that this house is a place that gives and provides and blesses So we need to see these kingdom economics, the difference between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of Christ. Okay, the Pharisees, the scribes, they're getting quieter as they're silenced. And this woman with her silent actions speaks volumes. Okay, look at it, verse 21. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw a poor widow, it's almost redundant, putting in two small copper coins, pocket change. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them, for they, out of their surplus, put into the offering, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. She's poor. She puts in, I mean, this is, this is literally pocket change, okay? But in the economy of heaven, what she placed in that box was more than what all the others put in. In Jesus' kingdom, the true kingdom, less can be more, and more can be less. Big gifts can come in small packages in this kingdom. In terms of what it costs them, the widow, the others, the wealthy, the gift of the widow was, was much higher. The cost was much higher. So in the church, in this world, small gifts can be dismissed or looked down upon as insignificant, either on the part of the giver. Sometimes you can just despair. I can't do much. I'm not like these. Or on the part of the receiver. Okay. We really need to, you know, find the power players and and get them on our side. Jesus just blows up the worldly economy through which we so often, these lenses that we so often look at the significance of a gift and judge it. And he judges our hearts. If you're poor and you have little to give, you should be encouraged by this, by these economics of the kingdom. If you are rich and often give in a way that never hurts, are you not to be warned? In fact, out of their surplus in 21.4, 
is the same root as greater condemnation back in 2047. Greater is their condemnation. They just gave out of the surplus. It was nothing. There's a connection there intentionally. So is your giving merely that of leftovers that never require any sacrifice? It's so easy for us to think more highly of ourselves and our gifts than we ought because we're judging our giving by worldly categories. So who's the blessed one here? That would have been a question in the minds of the hearers and the readers in Jesus' time. I think it challenges us too. The impressive, respected, popular, wealthy ones, are they the blessed ones? Or is it the humble poor who trust and give, maybe small, but in, in God's eyes, significant ways? And there may be no one who notices or gives acknowledgement or praise or deference or thanks to that person who gives that little gift because nobody may see. But this is in here <laughs> so that those gifts those of you that are giving those gifts like that can be encouraged. This woman is one of the blessed ones. Remember back in chapter 6 of Luke, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then Luke 4.18, when Jesus was in the, the uh, synagogue in Nazareth, Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. She wouldn't have heard that good news from the temple as it was, but Jesus was bringing her good news. This is countercultural kingdom of Jesus, good news. So the rich are devouring the poor. They're on the take. They're feeding on even her. And this poor woman is giving her very life. That is the impulse of the gospel, the countercultural kingdom of God. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus. And we need to embrace it. We need to choose this day and every day, over and over and over again. This is a battle every day. Choose this day, the kingdom we will serve. Okay, the scribes, they were poster boys for the kingdom of this world. They are sons of the biting, devouring serpent. They are sons of the roaring lion who seeks whom he may devour. They love and desire greater status and acclamation. They feed on and use others to get what they want. But they're not going to get greater commendation, at least not in the long run. They're going to get greater condemnation, like Jesus warns. So beware, and let's believe and embrace the economics of the kingdom of God and of his Christ, choosing each day the king we will serve. Will we serve self, or will we serve Christ? Choose the kingdom you will seek, self or God. The kingdom of self is always on the take. It's the kingdom of save your life, pump up your reputation and image, very Darwinian, survival of the more righteous. It's feed on, eat, or be eaten. And if you get eaten, that means you lose your status and superiority, so you better work hard at it. Instead, the kingdom of God is empowered by the grace of our Lord Jesus, the self-giving, sacrificial, lay down his life for the sheep, grace of Jesus. Even the Son of Man came to, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on and used to his own advantage, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He gave his life to serve and feed and bless and give to us. He came to make poor in spirit people like you and me with an infinite debt of our sin to pay for that. He who is rich, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, 
became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich in the, in the riches of his mercy. That's Jesus. That's the kingdom. Do you remember those Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 1? How they, their severe affliction and their severe poverty overflowed in an abundance of generosity. What? How do you have poverty and affliction overflowing in generosity? It's because they knew the grace of the Lord Jesus. They knew the riches that they had in him, and they were so full of it. They, just like Adam and Eve, should have been drinking in the grace of God and overflowing on others, not on the take, because they're empty, but giving, because they're full. That's the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus died to produce in us. So bottom line, are you going to live exploitative lives, either active or passive, subtle or blatant? Use other people for your own selfish purposes. We can even do service in the church for our own, you know, just to look spiritual. We can turn just about anything (laughs) toward this end. Are we going to live by grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus who, though he is rich, became poor so that we by his poverty might become rich. We're going to live by grace through faith in Jesus, so knowing the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're filled up and we gladly want to feed others and not feed on others. So in your job, in your marriage, in your family, in your church service, who are you going to serve? Let's choose this day and every day which king, which kingdom we are going to serve because we're either going to live Evolution or new creation lives. Either evolutionary survival of the fittest, eat or be eaten, or new creation. (laughs) Jesus gave me his life. He laid down his life for me. He's given me everything I need. He's promised to continue to provide for me. And so full of that grace, full of those promises, full of that mercy, the riches of it, we freely give what we freely received. Our time, our money, our comfort, whatever it is. Do you see how this is a daily battle? It's the way you enter the kingdom, but it's also what life looks like on a daily basis. Let's pray for grace to live it. Oh, God, please show us how we so often bite and devour when people don't do our will. We attack actively with anger. We threaten. We try to bend people to our will because we're on the take and we're empty. Expose us, Lord. Show it to us so that we can be warned, we can run from it, we can turn from being governed by the laws of this world's kingdom, the kingdom of self. And Lord, so show us the beauty and the fullness of the grace of the Lord Jesus giving his life for us, 
paying all of our debt, giving us all of his very great and precious promises that we would drink that in day after day after day so that out of the fullness of your grace, we would give grace. Give ourselves gladly in the service of others, echoing the ultimate sacrificial love of our Savior. Oh, how we need grace to live this way. Please remind us. Please help us. Please help us to turn away from the feeding on, using, abusing others, whether blatant or subtle. And I pray that we would turn to Jesus day in and day out, filling up on that grace and causing it and seeing it just pour out of us onto others, blessing and giving and feeding and serving. Lord, for the sake of your name, do it. In Jesus' name, amen.